business. Ringing a bell can improve someone's life. The Salvation Army Miami Area Command and WZAB Sweetwater urge you to volunteer. Visit RegisterToRing.com and support your community. The following program was paid for by the Tony Colladio Show. The future is most definitely now. Welcome to 8Base Radio, an interactive show featuring technology trends, top business leaders, and upcoming events in the business world. 8Base Radio is hosted by 8Base founder and CEO Albert Santalo, a serious entrepreneur and angel investor with a passion for disrupting traditional business models. Now, here is Albert and your 8Base radio team on 880 AM, The Biz. Good afternoon. It's Albert Santolo, founder and CEO of 8Base here with another installment of 8Base radio. Today we have a, a special guest, a young very intelligent, very talented entrepreneur, uh, representative of the kind of technology entrepreneurship that's going on in South Florida. I want to welcome Sebastian Scholl. Welcome. Thanks, Albert. Appreciate that. It's great to have you here. I'm excited to be on. This is actually my first time being on the air. Is that right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting to talk into a big microphone. It's like everything I ever, anything I could have ever imagined. You know? so. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, you, you, you've done a lot of stuff I haven't done in your short lifespan. So I have some, have, I have some fun stories. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, um, so why don't we, why don't we dig into that, Sebastian? So, um, you know, you and I have known each other, I guess, for a couple of years. Uh, maybe maybe that's a good place to start is is where you and I met and how. So um, I guess we were introduced by your father, which is a someone I've known for twenty something years and been friends with. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's there's almost like a lineage, you know, because when you were starting Avicenna, my you, like my dad was working with you and stuff like that on helping, you know, guy it was like an early counselor type thing if yeah, I remember yeah. correctly. And so then when I moved back down here from New York, you know, he was like, you should work with Albert. And you know, so kind of just a little bit of a continuation there. You know, but that was, no, that was two years ago. Was it two years? Yeah. Wow, time flies. Yeah the, the, or, well, yeah, the end of 2016 is when we first sat down and um, first sat down in Carl Gables at that Cafe Demetrio. What yeah, was that? Cafe Demetrio, yeah. Cafe Demetrio. That was it. I remember that first meeting. Yeah, so at the time, I remember your, your, your father told me, so I have this very you know, talented son. He's moving down from New York. He's thinking about either taking a job in a technology company or starting his own company. But I told him the guy he had to talk to was you, so you know, will you take some time and, and, and tell me what you think? And so I remember we sat down, and at the time, you know, it didn't have a name, but you told me about your concept, which was Rampex. And the impression I got was really is really twofold, right? Is is Rampex a company? Is it a business? Is it backable? And uh, the unspoken was is Sebastian somebody who's backable? Can he be an entrepreneur? And uh, I left that meeting favorably impressed on both counts. I was going to say until this two years later, you still don't know. Yeah? <laughs> well, it takes longer <laughs> than two years for sure. But no, you know, you know, you know, and you know, there's certain type of people. You know, if you ask me what's the most important thing an entrepreneur has to have, and I would say it's grit more than probably anything, more than being smart, more than being educated, more than, because for no entrepreneur is the path easy. Uh, at least I don't think so. I, I, I've never spoken to one. You always, you know, what you read is you read about the great stuff that happens and the unicorns that are formed, but 
unless it's deliberately done, you usually don't read about all the messy sausage making that happens along the way. Mm. And so to me, you know, grit is probably the most important thing that you have to have. But uh, I remember talking to your father afterwards. He asked me what I thought. He said, don't, don't pull any punches. And I told him, no, I think, you, you know, I think he, he deserves a shot. He should try to go do this. I think he has what it takes. And, um, and the rest is history, right? That's what you did. Writing history. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we, before, we, before we get into Rampex, you, you, you have a very interesting background, you know, from your days, from being a child, your background was interesting. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, so the fun fact that, that, um, that I think you're referencing here is that I was homeschooled up till when I was 15, homeschooled all my childhood, and, and not for the reason of, not, not for any reason other than. It wasn't a disciplinary problem. Exactly. That, yeah. was, that wasn't it. Um, <laughs> it both my, mom, my mom and my dad thought that it would be more important for us to travel as children than to go to school. So, I mean, I spent, by the time I was, well, this is, by the time I was 18, I'd been to 30 countries. Wow. Traveling, living, whether it was for sports or cultural immersion or whatever it was. And so, but mainly the two places that we, um, that I was in, but in the, during that time was I lived in Miami for most of my life, but then also Colorado. We were out in Colorado, and then I would constantly be on different trips, going everywhere, whether it was for a few weeks or six months. Um, and so, I'd say that you know definitely in many ways that shaped me growing up. You know, to the point to where then I was like totally ready to go to school, and right. um, I went to a boarding school. So that was a big shift. And that was in Colorado, right? Yeah, I went to boarding school in Colorado. Um, really got into sports. That kind of defined the next few years of my life, all the way to where I went to college. Um, I went to college in Boston, at BU. Um, was D one crew there for a little bit, and um, and then just kind of did the rest of the college experience. I think as any as anyone is um, shamefully looks back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but you were a rower there. Yeah, yeah. Road road crew uh, for for a while 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 up at school there, and um, and yeah, you know, and then. I mean that's that's the that's the, the the childhood part, but I, I'd say that after after school, it was um, I was super unclear on on what was going to come next. You know, at the time I've always been kind of like driven by driven by hobbies. At that time, hobbies were actually photography and and writing. I was writing like two articles a day on my personal blog. I ran a satirical newspaper. All these like really really that's interesting. Yeah, all these fun. I, I wanted I wanted to like. Well, the, the, so it's actually it's a it's a random story. But what happened was is that I had discovered the Onion newspaper, right? When I was, you know, second year, way later than when they started, but second yep. year of college, let's say, and I loved it. I mean, like I could read that. I read that more than the real news. I enjoyed right, it right, so right. much. And so at one point, I was like, you know what? Like I think I could write these things. Like I could definitely write some satirical <laughs> news. Um, and so I look for their contributing guide like you know they should have one right and so i literally find like the page that says if you want to be a contributor don't try like they had this like almost like snarky um you know description of how if you send them anything they're not going to read it like if they ever want you to write something for them they'll find you and like take care and it pissed me off <laughs> and so what i decided to do was start my own satirical newspaper um to where i was writing an article a day publishing them and it actually got to the point where it's like some pieces hit and we had like or I got like 20,000 views on some ones that people really thought was real news because that's that's how satirical news goes viral 
and um, it was really fun. So no. you were in the fake news business. I was I was in the fake news business <laughs> before it was a problem. Before it was called fake news. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Yeah. That's great. And you you also, um, if I remember correctly, you you went away. You went out of the country. Yeah. So when um, you know, there's not many there's not many real jobs for writer photographers. <laughs> so when I when I finished college, um, I was looking for a way to keep writing. That essentially, that that's what I really wanted to do, and through some random um, introductions, I got introduced to a guy that owned a coffee farm in the mountains of Panama, and it was a it was a, actually a very prestigious coffee brand that um you know we sold to the best distributors for co- coffee in in China in Europe, um all and at really ridiculously high price points, <laughs> and what was interesting was at that time on the kind of the coffee circuit, which is a real thing, to where there's all these like regional and national competitions where baristas compete. Um, the top baristas in the world were all competing with our coffee. And like, you know, eight or four out of the top eight would be using our coffee. And the the owner of the company wanted someone to start telling that brand story. They wanted someone to do content marketing essentially at that time. Okay. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> so I, I moved to Panama. Um, and I mean, I was, I'd be in Panama for two weeks. We'd fly to Shanghai for two, three weeks. We'd fly over to Greece for a few weeks. We'd go back to Panama, stop in Miami, New York. I mean, it was a really, it's a pretty cool life. Yeah. I mean, I would drink, I was drinking like eight espressos a day. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I did it for like a year and, um, and after that year, I mean, I, like I said, I, I'd gone to school in New England, and I think it's just a rite of passage to end up in New York at some point after that. And so all my friends were in the city, even though I was living quite a fun life, um, you know, on, uh, on the road with, with, with the coffee gig. I definitely wanted to go spend my time in New York, be with them, kind of have that experience as a young person. And, um, and so after a year, I, I found a job in a, actually for a coffee company in New York that lasted about two or three months. It was a very quick little jump, but um, it landed me in New York, and you know, so I was happy about that. And yeah, and didn't you didn't you um, compete in rafting at some point or something? So, um, so, so you know, like the dirty little fun facts. You know? <laughs> um, so when I was in high school, right? So this is after I was done homeschooling and I went to boarding school. I went to a, I went to a school called the Colorado Rocky Mountain School, and it was an extremely like it, it was an extreme sports like driven school. That's what we mainly focused on there. So you Very had to cool. do a sport during the winter. You were you were skiing, you know, or snowboarding, and during the spring and fall, you were doing rock climbing, whitewater kayaking. They had a soccer team. I don't know why, but that was like the only traditional thing that you could probably do there, and. For I gravitated towards kayaking, and I fell in love with whitewater. Um, you know, down here in Florida, we think of kayaking as something you know you do at yeah. the sunset, but over there, we're going off waterfalls, we're going down crazy rapids, and it's extremely like violent but exciting sport. Sure. And um, I ended up spending the next like or all of high school traveling and um, and kayaking. So I've it's funny I had. I was on one of the last trips down the Great Bend of the Yangtze River in China, um, which was a really exciting thing. You know, we actually flew over there because of the hydro, the, um, the large hydropower plant dams that were going right. up. 
so I, I got to kayak like through the dams as they were closing almost like you that know. was a little dangerous no? well i mean like actually you know out of all the 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 crap that we did in those boats like that was pretty tame all <laughs> right yeah um you know because it's not like you, you can't you can't close the dam on someone you know <laughs> but right. the construction was happening um, but that was cool. I mean, those were massive rivers that we were going down, you know, almost like something you'd, you'd think of like a, a massive African river. You know, it's a, the Yangtze is the third largest river in the world by volume. So, you know, kayaked all around the world for that. And then I competed, you know, during that time. But, it, you know, it, the, 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 the competitive kayaking was never as much the fun part as like the adventure kayaking, essentially, which is you're going down exciting creeks and rivers and some of them, you know, are pretty well charted. Some of them you're going down with your team for the first time. And it's more like exploratory, you know. Yeah. I think that's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, there's a reason that we, we went into all of this. Mm-hmm. So we'll, but we'll get back to that. Okay. So, so, so now you're in New York, right? So we mm-hmm. go back to – so you're in New York. You're in the coffee business. And uh, you, you transition there, right? T- tell us about that. So, so somehow you became a technologist and an entrepreneur. So. Somehow. Um, okay, so this is where I'm going to backtrack it from New York. Okay, my first attempt at a startup, my first attempt at like entrepreneurialism, I'd say, was when I was in college, and I had an idea for a startup called Bazaar, B-A-Z-A-A-R, and that was essentially what what today the app Let Go is, right? You know, uh, mobile Craigslist, better user interface, discover right. items locally, sell items locally, kind of a bartering app almost. Um, that's what Bazaar was back in 2008 or two, 2011 is when I was working on that. And, um, and I worked on it for like 10 months, and which is not that long. But when I was in school, I was spending a lot of time on it. I was definitely not doing as well in my classes because I was spending more time working on Bazaar. And what ended up happening was um, I created all this beautiful marketing content. <laughs> Like these great wireframes, I figured out how to design the application, how I wanted it to look and feel and to talk about it. And I got people totally on board and bought into the concept. And I kind of had this assumption the entire time that I would find an engineer that would build it for me. Kind of like the class. I think a lot of people have this like assumption. It's a gi- like it's a given. Like it's a given. Like, like oh, yeah. this is such a good idea. Someone will, I'll give them 20% or I'll give them 40% of this idea and they will materialize it into code. It kind of in like this abstract way. And there was two problems with that. One is that, you know, unless you are very actively looking um, or very actively networking to meet engineers that could potentially do that, it's not like they just kind of show up. A lot of marketers show up. A lot of salespeople show up. (laughs) But the engineers were harder to come by. And the other funny one, which I think was the more more, um, influential point that, that I came up against was that let's say that i did meet that like perfect engineer that would you know for 20% build the build the build the product right i wouldn't know at that point the first question to ask them to discern whether or not they had done code academy the week prior or you know built tumblr like i had i had no i had no technical knowledge at that point to be discerning about the talent I was trying to discover, yeah, which I thought was the biggest problem. And so, you know, 
then let's cat you know if we archive that experience it left an impression on me you know go through all all the things land in new york um i had an idea for a second startup when i was in new york and so it was being what, what happened with the first startup it just kind of you know it, it's it's still a folder in my google drive yeah. <laughs> that's that's it yeah know? yeah well you know just to sort of highlight something here so you at the time were the quintessential non-technical founder mm-hmm Right, which is a whole area of study of how non-technical f- founders need to conduct themselves, what they need to do, and the difficulties they encounter. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, um, and, and I remember I, there, there were, I tried to gain some understanding of what I would need on the technical front during that time, but I didn't do a good job of it. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a major failing of that learning experience, or the major failing of that learning experience. And um, and like I said, like you know, I still have the, I still have. And how the old work were you at that time? Yeah, I was uh, twenty. Yeah, so yeah. there's no failing at twenty. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> you know, but uh, I guess it just doesn't hurt as bad. You know, um, but but no. So by the time I got in New York, you know, I, I I actually had left all the coffee jobs and I was working at a technology company called Percolate. Which was a marketing workflow solution um, or marketing percolate system. Percolate wasn't burden. about coffee. It wasn't, but that was the irony, right? Right. I moved from coffee to percolate <laughs> um, with no connection in between. But while there, um, I was an SDR, so I was on a sales team. Still, I, at, at that point, I had so like, an SDR is a sales development rep. Thank right? you, a sales yeah. development representative. So within like a SaaS organ or a SaaS um, department or within a SaaS company or a software company, a lot of the times you'll have the sales department segmented with like SDRs, AEs, and even like you know, other ones sure. farther down the line. Um, and SDRs work on top of funnel pipeline generation. Right. So essentially I was cold calling, I was trying to book meetings, so and then I was not, passing those off. You were an outbound SD, SDR, outbound which is SDR. the hardest part. That's what, it, it was the least fun part. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt, there's no doubt. There's a reason it's the least fun, it's yeah. the hardest part. It is hard. You know, and, um, and there are also SDRs that take inbound leads, mm-hmm. nurture them, qualify yeah. them, it's less of a hunting activity. Yeah. Well, it's 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 when your marketing team's doing the work for you. Right. Um, but while I was at that job, um, I wasn't doing that well, and so I was kind of just earning my um, my base. And I was in, living in New York, and I had to eat. <laughs> I'll put it as as, as um, plain as that. And so what I started doing is like I looked at my food budget. I was always a big budgeter, and I was like, okay, well, like realistically i have like 15 dollars a day to to eat in new york and so that comes out to like if i wanted to have three meals five dollars and i started this application or i had this idea for an application called five dollar feast which was i was going to find all the five dollar meals in new york and brooklyn that you could eat and like make almost kind of like a a think of the the satire newspaper almost like a flippant food review site for cheap food right and um and it started as an Instagram account because I would just find the food, take a picture, review it. And very quickly, like a few thousand people started following it. They, everyone thought it was funny and hilarious. And I was like, you know what? Like, and, and, and I was like, okay, I, this could be something. Like what, what could it be? I don't know, but I'm going to see it through. And so I immediately make a site. I make a WordPress site for it that would have the reviews. And like even though there was thousands of followers on the Instagram account, no one could care less about the website. And so this was like one of my first like 
almost like a user like um this is almost like a user experience like you know problem where it's like well why would people be on this platform but not this platform and so i decided that well the reason is because this should be mobile this should be something that if someone is on their phone and they're hungry and they are on a budget they flip open it shows them the closest meal to them that's where they can get for five bucks and that's where they're going to go and so then I kind of remembered, like, wow, like, I remember what happened with Bazaar, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I did not let that happen again. And since I had a job and, you know, and this kind of new simple idea, which is it's a simple idea, I was like, I'm going to start teaching myself to actually how to do this. Um, and it started with a little HTML, a little CSS, and then a little bit of JavaScript to work with, you know, the Google Maps API. And then it was just very quickly a cascading effect from that point to where now – you know, four years later, I'm working with like, you know, deep learning technologies and building production, you know, enterprise ready applications and, you know, voice technology. I mean, all these like really exciting things that, um, that just kind of came from, from deciding that I was going to do it myself, you know? Yeah. So you, you, that decision basically was, I'm going to, I'm going to become the technical founder. No, you know, it it was that I'm not going to rely on someone else to do it. You know, it's like even even to say that, you know, oh, I'm going to be the technical founder is like way too noble <laughs> a way to put it. Yeah. Um, I just I knew that, like, I, I wanted to make this. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be or it would look like. And this and that I thought that, hey, I think I'm smart enough to figure out how to make it happen, you know. And the, and the truth is, is that, I mean, this is, at the time, I built the first version with a little code and a platform that helped you build applications. Right. You know, and, and I think this is the beauty of what you're doing with 8Base, where you're like, you're enabling people to make those ideas come to life without the super, super deep expertise sure. that uh, that is mainly focused on the infrastructural side a lot of the time. Right. And so I started to use that, and I got a first working version out, and once again, few thousand people are using that awesome i'm excited but then i remember there's like something where there was like one little i remember what it was when you go on google and you type in a business it shows you the hours dynamically it shows you that these are the times they're open what day is it are they open now are they closed and i wanted to create the logic you know using javascript obviously to make that run in the browser or in the application but the framework I had used to build the application wouldn't allow me to do that. So I had to take like one step back from the abstraction level or one step deeper into the into it to then figure out how could I create an environment that would allow me to do that. So yeah. I had to find a new thing there. And then when I had to do that, of course, there was another issue and another issue and another issue. And it's just kind so, of this cascade. So the, the framework you used was too opinionated. Yeah. And you needed to back off of the opinionated framework, which caused there was a cascading effect of other things you had to do. Yeah, but yeah. you had to do to it. this day. And, yeah, <laughs> so. and that's that's how you became technical. Yeah, very very cool. So what's the trade off? Um. Well, so the trade off to where now, like looking at having these skills and running a company. You, well, I mean, how, you know, how do you want to take that? Maybe there are no trade offs. Maybe it's just all goodness. But but you know you're. What what is finite is your time. So, okay. So, so what I would say is what the the trade off is, and, and this is something I face with Rampex all the time. Um, 
I I don't do as good of a job delegating because I know I'm capable. Right. And and that's and that's great in the beginning. I mean, like, I mean, I was able to move so fast on building demos and like and great and actually laying down all the infrastructure we use still today for RampX, um, all on my own time and not having to raise much capital to you know hire teams to then pay them to mess up to make my, that idea come to life. But I still see myself falling back on that to where it's like, you know, when I should be focusing on certain sales opportunities or BD opportunities and stuff like that, um, you know, I'm more comfortable. It's kind of going to the drawing board and my time always feels more productively spent building product. Right. You know, wh- whether it is. Well, I mean, look, I mean, as a, as a, you can't knock yourself too much for that. I mean, building product, especially at this, this stage, mm-hmm. is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Having, you know, Swiss Army knife skill sets in my opinion, is a very, very good thing in the early stage. You know, I having watched you, you know, some of these other things, uh, you know, the eclectic side of Sebastian helps you deliver in many, many different angles. Like, for instance, you're, when you write about the company, when you blog, when you send out newsletters, uh, you know, I remember one of your... I, <laughs> I remember one of your uh, April uh, Fools. Yeah, the April Fools <laughs> joke, right? Which goes back to your satirical, your yeah. satirical writing. What was, what was that about? You were shifting the focus to That's virtual a, reality for pets, or something? exactly? You know, yeah. So, I mean, we haven't even gotten into this, but you know, so <laughs> RampX. If anyone listening, RampX focus on is, is focuses on employee soft skill training, right? So, it's a simulating role play, and so as, on April Fools, I sent out a newsletter. They had a very articulate and, and convincing first paragraph saying that, look, we've identified that the real opportunity with virtual reality is in pet training, and we've adapted <laughs> virtual reality headsets to fit on your house pets so they can get that training. That was awesome. Yeah, and so and, and it's funny, you know, the, the, the thing that's ir- – the ironic thing is like – because I remember like two months before that I had sent out a newsletter, and I was like kind of frustrated, but like – so I wrote like a very like – professional like to the sure. point newsletter and like no one cared you right. know but like you write the funny one and then it had some nice information after and i got like i, I swear it was like not only a hundred percent open rate literally you know with a few hundred people on the mailing list but like a 40 50 percent response rate of everyone yeah. like following up saying let's get coffee you know it, it was great you know so yeah yeah, yeah. Was, no it was awesome yeah it was awesome but you know all those skills come together because mm-hmm. A lot of people that try to start companies, you know, at the beginning, you can't afford specialists in every area. So it's good to have people that are broad. Yeah. And you're the definition of that. Very broad. <laughs> so you have a you have a healthy dose of right brain and left brain thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't, isn't, isn't that a myth? Isn't the whole right brain, left, left brain thing? Yeah, no, and... I mean... <laughs> I, maybe, yeah. maybe, but I certainly, you know, there's certainly people that are more more analytical versus more analytical, more creative. More creative Absolutely, are on different sides of that spectrum. And you know, when you think about technology, um, it, it was always considered an analytical pursuit, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, until about ten years ago, and then it became more a sort of a a, a synthesis of the humanities and science. Because we're using it in our every, everyday lives. Right? Yeah. And so usability became much more important. And for that, you know, the creative side tends to work better, in my opinion. Hmm. Well, I mean, like, you know, when the audience of anything changes, like, it, it, it fundamentally changes, like, the subject, right? You know, you know so, yeah. 
I mean, you can eat, look at media my, or entertainment is actually probably a perfect example of that. Like think of how entertainment has changed back from, from back when only like a specific group of people were able to enjoy it because they were the only ones that could afford it. And as that opened up, how that has fundamentally changed that entire industry, sure. right? you know, and so sure. when you look at, you know, I mean, you look at technology and it's, it's been a shorter time period, but technology, like, you know, software used to only really have real business applications. And so that was a very specific audience. Yeah. Those applications haven't changed much. Of course, the, the technology has advanced and become better for for them. But now you just have completely different and varied audiences that can all access, enjoy, and, and utilize different types of software. Um, so it's just it's broadened the scope of everything that we're thinking about, you know, tremendously. Yeah. No, and this is a great point. We're going to take a little break. Sebastian, it's been great uh, getting to know you a little bit. When we come back, we're, we're going to dig right in with, uh, with what you're doing at Rampex. Great. Albert and the 8Base team return in moments with more 8Base Radio here on 880 AM, The Biz. If you're looking for a new car without the new car price, head to Durrell Lincoln and check out their inventory of certified pre-owned Lincolns. Here's GM Miguel Otero. Here at Durrell Lincoln, we have a reconditioning center where I have some of the best certified mechanics that go above and beyond to make sure that we're putting out the best quality vehicle. And with that, the manufacturer will also extend the warranty to a four-year 50000 on all our certified vehicles that are 2013 on up. Pick out your certified pre-owned Lincoln today at Durrell Lincoln. Discover the Doral Lincoln difference. Here's a question. What is the best place for cigars of the entire Southeast? Answer. Cuban crafters here in the heart of Little Havana. The largest cigar choices you can imagine. Hundreds of the top labels in the world. Hand rolled on location from H. Upman to Rocky Patel to the great Miami brand. That's a Cuban crafters original. Have Al Gutman, George and the team treat you to the finest cigars and a free Cuban coffee. Cuban crafters. 3604 Northwest 7th Street. 3604 Northwest 7th Street. You can also call them 305-573-0222 or go to their great website cubancrafters.com cuban crafters the radio home of front and center if your business needs money and needs it fast up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars one capital funding can help for any credit score above 500 we have a 90 percent loan approval rate and you can have the money within seven days it's simple and fast there is never an upfront cost or collateral required all it takes is a three-minute phone call call 786-290-4689 or visit us at onecapitalfunding.com that's onecapitalfunding.com or call us 786-290-4689 One Capital Funding Rocket Fuel for your business 880 The Biz Time Saver Traffic This report is brought to you by the Foundation for a Better Life Right now we've got a broken down car in the Palmetto Westbound This is right at Northwest 47th Avenue It's off to the shoulder And watch out for another broken down car in the Dolphin Eastbound after Lejeune Road It's also off to the shoulder We're seeing heavy delays from Northwest 45th Avenue We're also seeing some delays in the Dolphin Westbound Before Douglas Road Got a broken down car there that's blocking your right lane. But good news, that earlier crash, 95 northbound before Northwest 119th Street has cleared. That's your South Florida traffic. I'm Christina Melendez. Hello, everyone. This is Judge Anna Pando, retired county court judge, political and community activist for practically a lifetime. Tune in to my new show, And Justice for All, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Power-packed, fun, and informative discussion of issues that affect your everyday life. For all your legal needs, accidents, slip and falls, criminal matters, and any other legal needs you may have, call me. I will fight and help you in the same courts where I imparted justice for all. Remember, call Judge Pando at 833-X-JUDGE, 833-395-8343. 
Hey everybody, Ed Martinez from Front and Center on 880 The Biz. I love bringing 15 years of experience, passion, and knowledge of the law to you, my listeners. Now I'm doing even more for you. I can bring all that to you personally. If you've got any legal matters, criminal or civil, call me at the Martinez Law Center, 786-567-8757. That's 786-567-8757. Now you can benefit from my personalized attention and results-driven passion and justice. 786-567-8757. The initial consultation is is free. Now back to Albert Santalo and the eight base team here on 880 AM, the biz. Hi, this is Albert Santalo back for the bottom of the, of the hour, uh, here with Sebastian Scholl, who's the founder and CEO of Rampex. Uh, we just had a really, really interesting conversation. You know, Sebastian's not that old, but he's had a very interesting life. He's done a lot of different things. And uh, all with purpose, not because he's been sort of wandering, trying, trying to find himself, but more than anything, I think that his background and experience really makes for a great foundation for what he's trying to do now. So, Sebastian, why don't you tell us about RampX, sort of tell us, you know, however, however you want to, obviously what the company does, uh, what, uh, how it got started, uh, tell us about the funding, you know, tell us however you want. Yeah, sure. Um yeah, I'll start. Well, you know, in the in the in the the shortest way to put it is RampX automates role play training for companies. So essentially, what 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 that means is, right now we focus on sales and customer service teams that want to make sure their people are better rehearsed before actually going out and engaging with their customers. And traditionally, the way that has worked is if you wanted your people to actually practice, you'd have to get the manager to, or get their manager to book time on the calendar to go in and kind of do some mock interactions with them to get them comfortable. Or, which is probably the most common, is just pretty much saying, um, go practice on real customers, just kind of on-the-job learning. If you mess up, don't mess up again, and um, and, and, and do it that way. Um, to where what, what we're able to do using some of the, the newer technologies available today is actually simulate the customer experiences that you expect your people to or you expect your your teams to have so whether that be sales conversations with objection handling or customer service you know scenarios to where you know they to where you know that this is how you'd want your employee to most effectively handle certain scenarios um, that can all be simulated through voice or presentations or whatever it may be on the Rampex platform um, for more effective training. And, and, and really the, the way it, the, the, where the idea seeded from was when I was working in New York and I was at a company called Percolate. I got hired as an SDR, sales development representative there. And I remember the way it worked, which was I got hired and for the first week they told me that it was going to be our training week, during which they brought us in a boardroom. They gave us a few presentations. They told each of us to stand up and kind of do a mock pitch to the classroom. And then at the end of that time period said, okay, you're done training. You got to go start doing your job, hitting the phones. And we're going to give you a six-month ramp period to, um, to until or we're going to give you six months to ramp. And I didn't really understand what that meant. I had never been in a sales organization before, so I said, well, what is what does ramp mean? And they said, that, well, for the first six months, we're not going to expect you to hit quota. And I thought that was the craziest concept, that for six months, I was kind of had a free ride 
of course, show up, show signs of improvement. But for six months, they really weren't expecting me to hit my numbers. And the only way I could justify that at the time was that, well, for the first six months, how could they expect me to actually be experienced? How could they actually expect me to be good at the job I was doing? And that over that period of time, I would have repetitions of doing the job again and again and sure. again to the point to where as if you're building muscle, you, you know, you do so many reps to where you suddenly, you know, you have the strength that you're shooting for. And, and so, you know, looking, looking back at that experience later on when I started to kind of get more familiar with virtual reality technology and, um, and like chat bots, essentially, you know, on the AI side, I started to feel like, well, a lot of those repetitions that I could have done, I could have done in a simulated environment. Um, and, and that was really, you know, what started the, um, started the idea of what RampX was going to focus on and, and what it could be, you know? Well, I mean, th this really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. um, having stood up Salesforce's a couple times, uh, as an entrepreneur, it's notoriously difficult. Um, you know, in venture-backed companies, at least my experience is that number one, sales enablement is probably the biggest consumer of venture capital. Uh, when you're, you know, in the early days, it's more, it's more so than product development. And product development, at least you can sort of see what's happening and isn't it happening correctly. But because of these long ramp periods that you have in sales enablement, it may take you nine months that you're paying an expensive resource mm -hmm. to figure out if they're going to be any good. Yeah. When probably the break point in their success is probably made within the first three months, right? But it's just so hard to measure. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the exciting things that we're able to do now um, on the Rampex, you know, or with the Rampex software is actually track training progress. So, you know, we, we, we say it's, it's visualized in a learning curve, right? Yeah. So based on the training activities that you're able to do, we can measure the incremental improvement or internalization of the content you're handling and, and, and visualize your progress over time. Um, and, and, you know, and, and that has a lot of, um, a lot of important applications. Two main ones being is that, you know, like what you just said there was nine months until you can expect a result, right? Well, that's just because you're only tracking a result that can be measured at the end of nine months. Right. There may be, and we, we say there definitely are, many things that you can track over time sure. leading up to that point that aren't necessarily outbound, right? Because remember, like the whole reason you're hiring someone is based on some data, essentially, that you are collecting or you're imagining to validate that point to which then you're going to give them the opportunity. And then what we're working on is saying, okay, well, not only can we give you the opportunity to accelerate that learning period through kind of like, the, or not, through the hyper-iterative training process but that then we can be more insightful based on those training metrics to the to find the correlations to who actually works out at the end of those nine months right so you know for example someone trains in rampex for two months right and you collect a data profile on them you have 50 reps do that and you start to see patterns between people's training habits and their performance and once you start to identify that correlation, you can start making those decisions way more early on on whether or not someone's going to be a, a valuable candidate down the road, as well as who should you really be investing more time into, right? Who's sure. going to hit it out of the park and should and should you know and should have more resources dedicated to them? Yeah. So 
much more intelligently, you know, operating and managing your um yeah your training you know your, your sure the whole life cycle yeah making training into more of a process than an event right? exactly because too many companies they train people up front mm-hmm. i mean i've lived this right it's hard to especially in a smaller company it's hard to create a training infrastructure and then you know as an athlete you go to practice every week right you're going to practice throughout the week even nfl players or practicing so or, but in or, business what chance do you get to practice you know or you were the one that first brought that up analogy up to me like way early in rampex and i've like rehashed that so many times sure and like one of my favorite examples was you know is that okay well you know imagine imagine that the new england patriots are going to draft a new team right and so they go to all the universities and they find everyone that played intramurals right and they bring them in and they say, okay, for the first week of the season, we're going to be on the field practicing. And then you only have to show up Monday through Friday to play during the game. Right, days, right, right, right. That team would be awful. Yeah, <laughs> that be would be the yeah. worst team you could ever imagine. Sure. Um, but that is exactly kind of, you know, the, the process that we go through within the professional community. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's not like even the people you're hiring a lot of the time, especially for entry-level positions, have even have relevant skills to what you're hiring them for you know we, we we're very encouraged these days to where if you're hiring for someone in this field well why don't you get a diverse group of people that have all these different backgrounds to bring into that department but not actually specific skills to what you're hiring for you're supposed to give you're supposed to help them develop those at the job um so to bring in people that don't have a background into the organizations that you want them to be effective in but then not have training for which they can become effective. It's just a, it's a very, very backwards mentality or um, philosophy on how you can actually develop and help people grow in their careers and help them be useful at, or, at companies. Sure. You know, and, and I think it goes back to, you know, the sports, you know, one, for me, one of the big things I remember early on, it was, was realizing that, like, hey, when I was an athlete, I would train Monday through Saturday and then play or do whatever on sunday like that the ratio was the opposite way completely right and that's why you get like super stellar um you know performance with athletes you know that's why they excel to amazing feats but it's also you know athletics is very measurable Mm -hmm. business is not always so measurable sales sales (laughs) that's why sales is but but it's 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 measurable um but not normally measured at every step. Yeah. Like, you know, to get to every step of measurement is something that you help happen. Because mm-hmm. a lot of it is mostly funnel metrics and things like that. Um, it's sort of like, I, I equate it to in sports, you're, you're measuring the number of touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not necessarily measuring all the things that led up to that touchdown. Mm-hmm. And you got to do both. Yeah. Because by the time... You're measuring touchdowns. It's too late. Yeah, you're either getting them or you're not getting them, but you're not maximizing your chances to getting them. For sure. So, so how? What is the Rampix experience like? So it's funny. It's changed a lot from since the beginning. So when when we started, it was it was virtual reality heavy, um, and we actually built the first version for the HTC Vive. Which was, you know, to anyone that's ever tried an HTC, it's a it's a large headset. 
that you have to have two tracking beacons positioned in a room, but it's extremely immersive and you're in a whole nother world. And what that experience was like is as soon as you put on the headset, you would be in a boardroom. You would be in the the lobby of an office. You'd be at someone's dining room table, wherever you needed to be. And avatars or characters in that environment would interact with you and role play out the, the scenarios that you wanted your you, that you wanted to train on. Um, it was super cool and it worked really well. the The issue that we quickly ran into, which we underestimated completely early on, was that. For a company to roll something like that out, they'd have to dedicate space. They'd have to get a number of headsets and install them. Um, they would then have to train their employees or train their people to use the hardware to then access the software. And that was a prohibitive um, obstacle to actually them adopting and using RampX. We got everyone wanted a demo. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everyone wanted us to show up, you know, unpack the gear and, and put it on. But then when it came to taking next steps, um, it was crickets all the yeah. time. And so I, you know, up until about six months ago, I was still pushing that that product, that first version. It took us about eight months to build and about six months of me going out, making meetings, trying to push it forward. About six months ago, you know, especially as kind of VR has teetered in popularity a lot from the promotion it was receiving last year, um, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I was like, okay, well, everyone believes in the in the automation of role play. That that's not been one piece of pushback. I've not seen one piece of pushback there. How can I make this more accessible? And how can I make it easier to deliver to the people that need to act, you know need to have it? And what I what I was able to do was extract. M- most of like the voice interactivity technology and software that we developed um, and put that into a new platform that was on the web that essentially feels or has the has the um, the interfaces if you are Skyping yeah. an avatar. If you're, if you're on a video call or a FaceTime with an animated character, which then is impersonating your customer. Um, and today that's what... That's what the call simulator feels like, which is um, super useful and it's awesome. Um, and you don't need any specialized equipment for that. No, no, just you know, just you, a microphone and speakers. Your your computer. Yeah. Yeah, your computer, or your phone. You know that that works. You know, on on most platforms. You know, you just need a modern web browser. That's all. That's all we're asking. No, yep. no Safari. Um, and and then. The other flip side of that was one of the more recent simulations that we launched was a presentation simulator, which is pretty cool, which essentially allows you to upload, you know, slide decks or brochures or marketing material, any of that, but then attach scripts and questions to each slide so that if you wanted to give someone rehearsal opportunities to actually go through as if they were presenting that material to a customer or whoever it may be, um, they would be challenged throughout that with the relevant questions and scripts that they need to know to um, to be effective, you know, in the field and, and make sure that they have internalized the content they need to. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So it seems like, you know, what you've done in this, this sort of transition of the technology is you've, you've taken away obstacles, mm-hmm. simplified things, leveraged the core competencies the product already had in it, and the idea is that you can sell a lot more of this faster, right? Yeah. And then maybe the virtual reality 
keeps evolving and uh, is, is the next layer of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'd like to see that happen selfishly. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, most of the things I've ever done, I do because I'm interested in. Yeah. And I, and I totally started this because I thought VR was fascinating. That that I got, I was very excited about yeah. that, and I thought, and or I, I I believe I have a great application and a great concept that utilizes VR. You know, it's not it's not slapping a technology on the problem. Um, it, it it it's fine. It's a problem that very very much needs a technology like this to to live up to its best solution. Yes. Um. And and unfortunately, just you know the the adoption of VR equipment in the past year didn't happen you know or in the last year or two it didn't it didn't take off the way that i think many most people predicted it would um based on the amount of funding and marketing that was going into into that industry and so you know right now you know with rampex there's actually still a vr component but we just made sure that it wasn't a a gate it was it was an option it's an option exactly So, you know, you can still jump into a room and, and sit there with an avatar, you know, if you want now, to. How, so, so VR. Mm-hmm. So how does Magic Leap, AR, how did, have you thought about how that can impact what you're doing? Because in the VR experience, you've had, you have to build out the conference room. You've mm-hmm. got to, the whole world has to be built out. But theoretically, with augmented reality, you could be sitting in your own conference room yeah. with avatars that just kind of show up, right? Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple things, you know. So, so first off, is that the difference between, you know, the difference between VR, AR, and MR is there. There are very distinct differences between between the three, right? So, first off, VR is full immersion, right? You have no awareness of the world around you, or you shouldn't, right? At least, um, AR is more like visual, over, like think of a futuristic um, car windshield that shows you all this information on the dashboard. Right. Right? It's almost like data and metrics on a screen layered over the world. Right. MR is spatial computing. Right? That is essentially saying that we are What does MR stand for? Mixed reality. So Magic Magic Leap is a mixed reality company, similar to the HoloLens, right, Um, from Microsoft. So that's saying that what we have is we have the ability for the computer to have a reading and understanding of the world around us or the world around you and can project onto that, right? So most people know augmented reality as Pokemon Go, right? All that's doing is playing with perspective in a, in a, in a, in a way. Like if you, the, the, the Pokemon on your, on your phone doesn't understand that that's a sidewalk, it's kind of more like a sticker, right. right? When it comes to mixed reality, you could you could program the Pokemon right to to jump over the table, right? Um, it, it, and also to know where it is, to where when you walk into your room, it is there because that's where it has spatially been assigned. Think of it, think of it that way, right? Um, and so when it when it comes to Rampex and looking at these different different things. The way I look at it is that I found VR to be the most compelling because I don't want you to have to book time in your conference room and then have a bottleneck of other people that booked the conference room to to have that experience. I wanted you to be able to be in your sure be in your in your living room just like everyone else, but all at the same time have your own conference room and virtual reality to go and train in. Um, but there's some very exciting applications that you could do with AR or MR. 
um, such as, like you just said, you're in the conference room at your office before the meeting. Well, why not throw three character avatars in the seats and practice a run through with them before the real client walks in? Right. And I'm excited about building those things in the future. Um, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, it would seem that we're getting there. Mm-hmm. You know, the the cost of the headsets is still expensive. The platform's evolving, but yeah, you know, magically for one is is out. Mm-hmm. So. And it's been built as a platform. So yeah. you should be able to build things on it. Yeah. Very, very cool. So um, how much funding has the company uh, received? So you know, in the beginning, I brought on about like a little over $150,000. Um, and that was actually able to get me really far because I, I, I had the, you know, the technical skills to drive yeah, that development you, forward. You, you bootstrapped it. Exactly. In the beginning, it was you know, family, family and friends you know, supported me in the beginning, which I'm extremely thankful for. Um, then, you know, after that, brought in about another $200,000 with some reinvestment as well as some angels that started to believe in the project. Yep. Um, but, I mean, I've, I've worked really hard on, on, staying, on staying really lean, you know, and, and not bringing on capital that I don't need. Um, and I'm actually thankful for that because I know that, like, if I had gotten a $2 million check early on, I would have spent another $2 million on VR. And, sure. <laughs> and, you know, and that wouldn't have driven it home, you know, so real funding in my mind as as at least as i understand it now at this point in my career is really for sales and marketing ramp you know if unless you are unless you really need the money to drive the development of something um because it because you need so much engineering resource to be dedicated to that right that you shouldn't you shouldn't be raising that much money um, you should have found product market fit before you're starting to raise in the millions, you know, because all you're doing is you're essentially raising money for salespeople and marketing people's salaries. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And you, you know, having seen it, you know, I've seen you make a lot of process, a lot of progress with not a lot of money. Yeah. You've done that with, uh, you know, you've brought in contractors for different things, mm-hmm. right? You've brought in developers, designers, yeah, uh, and others to to help you in different areas, and then you filled in the the gaps. Yeah, no, I, I stitch I stitch a lot of things together, you know. But um, I, I love free you know freelancers. <laughs> I, I I love well, you, I love you, gig economy you, workers. Yeah. You know, um, you've chosen them well and you've managed yeah. them well, right? Because yeah. that's that's a trick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't wing that stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I vet people and I work with people I trust, and I have my own interviewing type processes down that at least give me, you know, give me a level of trust that I'm confident in, you know, and, and I've gotten burned on plenty of them, but, um, but you know, you, you find the right ones and, and then I do everything I can to make sure they want to work with me. I mean, sure. I, I pay for educational budgets. I, you know, I do Christmas bonuses to my contractors. I don't need to, but right. I want them to be stoked when the new year comes around right. to keep working with me, you know? Yeah, and no, so, that's great. Yeah. No, it's uh, having an elastic work, workforce like that is uh, is a blessing. Mm-hmm. It's not something we had ten years ago. We could access easily. Yeah, not at all. And uh, it's a great enabler for entrepreneurship. And but it's to all the things that you said. You, it's not magic. You have to manage it. You have to have a process. A little bit of culture built around it. Mm-hmm. So, Sebastian, this has been great. Um, you know, we congratulate you on all the pro- progress you've made and wish you all the best. And uh, thank you very much for, for joining us uh, on 8Base Radio. How do people get a hold of you? 
Um, you can reach out to Rampex on the website, rampex.com, R-A-M-P-E-X.com. Um, I am on Twitter, though I rarely am active on Twitter, and that's at Seb Scholl, S-E-B-S-C-H-O-L-L. Um, yeah, I would say that those are those are the two best ways. So Great. looking forward to hearing from you. <laughs> well, thank you, Sebastian. Um, best of luck. Thank you, Albert. And that's uh, today's show, 8 Base Radio. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Appreciate you joining us for 8 Base Radio, hosted by 8 Base founder and CEO Albert Santalo. Join us every Monday in prime time at 5 p.m. for a powerful, interactive hour featuring top business leaders, technology trends, and upcoming impacting events in the business world, bringing together the brightest minds in business and tech. This has been 8 Base Radio. See you next Monday at 5 p.m. Good night. 880 The Biz where money talks.